Yes, welcome to For and Against, an authentic extended lockdown remix version of For and Against for listeners of our previous show. You would have heard what authentic lockdown recording uh, sounds like, and uh, welcome back to version two of that. Hopefully for not too much longer, but uh, predominantly coming to you from the current lockdown capital of the world, uh, Sydney. Uh, and also a token appearance by by our, Mel- our Melbourne correspondent, which we'll come to. It's a big show ahead, obviously basking in the glow of the Olympics at the moment. Uh, fantastic athletics carnival or sports carnival as usual. So we'll be talking a fair bit about that uh, in the shootout covering rugby league, a little bit of cricket, uh, maybe touch on the Euros if time. And uh, we have a special appearance uh, in our occasional It's Not Sport, But We Like It segment where we delve into the world of competitive eating now, uh, helping me to take us through all this, it's first of all uh, Stephen Riley for the aforementioned Out of Lockdown Melbourne. G'day, Riles. I'm intrigued, Paul. G'day, Paul. I'm intrigued that you call this an extended and authentic show, as if our normal shows are somehow reduced and not authentic. Uh, authentic lockdown, I think, was the key phrase. So right. I'm sort of trying to explain away the, uh, the, the change in sound quality that some people might perceive. Uh, also uh, joining me, uh, joining us is Simon Jono Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Richie. You mentioned uh, competitive eating. I'd be fair to say I've been doing a fair bit of that and competitive drinking during <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> I'm not going to dare to go stroke for stroke with you on either count there, Jono. And David Bear Gill. G'day, Gilly. How are you? G'day, Richie. I'm well, and I just want you to know that I would never question your authenticity. <laughs> Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Uh, so, yes, plenty to get through, folks. Let's get straight into it. So the Olympics, it went ahead after all. Now look, um, some of you blokes will be pleased to know that I didn't actually have the time to go through the um, at this segment two shows ago where we spoke to sports lawyer Darren Kane uh, and speculated as to whether Tokyo would in fact go ahead. I know there were some people amongst us that thought it wouldn't. Is anyone prepared to be honest? Uh, yeah, really uh, happy to say that. Went? Yep, I said it would not go ahead. And my, um, well, I think the jury's still out as to... No, it went ahead, can, Steve. No, it, it went ahead. Did. Whether yeah. that was the right decision or not <laughs> remains to be seen. We'll, just, we'll determine that in the next 20 minutes. Yeah. I, it was two all, wasn't it, Reggie? It was you and, me, you and me saying it would go ahead and Dave and Stephen being the naysayers. But it has gone ahead as we predicted, Reggie. We, 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 we both stand, stand corrected. I'm not sure that Riley's prepared to join you in that. Um, but, yeah, look, good to see, obviously, inevitably, uh, despite the fact it was two all, thanks, Jono, inevitably it went ahead. Uh, no great surprise. And when you looked at some of the numbers that we, we explored back then two months ago, how much money was uh, uh, there to be lost from the broadcasters and so forth, no great surprise. And, uh, look, as, as we stand, it looks to be that um, the protocols that they had in pla- have slash had in place working as much as we can tell so far so um we uh we shall see fingers fingers remain crossed um yeah so look it's it's obviously good to see it's gone ahead still we i'm still struggling with them talking about well yes five years ago nine years ago it's just way out of sync the numbers it should be multiples of four i'm really really struggling with that is it just me it's the Tokyo 2020 Games, isn't it? They keep referring to it. Yeah. I mean, time is but an illusion in COVID times, so mm. it's kind of appropriate, I think. Olympic time, doubly so. Um, now, the anyone across the ratings, is it, how, how's it gone publicity-wise? Is it um, is rating the in, house down? In, in Australia, it's killing it, yeah. So the opening ceremony, 2.1 point, sorry, 2.12 million viewers, which made it the number one program of the year for Channel 7. And then I think day four... Uh, which was a big swimming day. It was 2.75 million viewers, so a new 2021 audience high, um, which is translating into a couple of other big um, ratings bonanzas for the for Channel Seven. So their Seven Sunday News program is also doing well, and I think in NBC, NBC over in the US is doing well. So despite all the naysayers, it's actually doing pretty well. That's not right. What are you talking about? It is down in the states. It's down in every way in the states. It's uh, the the opening ceremony was down, and the the biggest stars of the games have pulled out. 
you know, um, Simone Biles is out, so the gymnastics from now on is a disaster. The U.S. basketball team is, you know, yeah, playing practice games and losing, so that's a disaster. Uh, Australia, Australia is doing okay because, you know, Sydney's locked down. I reckon that's that's about it. Look, I mean, I just want, uh, and I think we, we said this on Twitter, I just, I'm hoping that the Olympics goes on for as long as lockdown does, basically, because what else are you going to do? And the other thing, it's great for education. Uh, they're great for the kids' education, not just putting them in front of the TV and showing them how to win, but also coercing them to do their schoolwork before swimming finals start at 11.30 in the morning. It's fantastic uh, leverage. Smart. Very oh, smart. mate, it's a powerful tool. I'll tell you one interesting thing about the, the coverage at the moment. The streaming of it is changing uh, the, the way we think about the Olympics. So I think people want to... It, it, this, this might be the last hurrah for television because of the lockdown and the restriction. But, yeah, the, the opportunity to watch it on your phone, wherever you are, and do it on, a, on the app, I think it's going to change this game. It's going to change advertising economics. And, you know, it's, it's different from now on. What do you mean is going to? It has. And is, is that we, we, may, we may be at the beginning of the curve... But this is not some future concept we're talking about now. It's it has begun, because as you rightly point out, the streaming is is um, quite a relevant factor, and the ratings may be down, and that's just TV. We don't. It's a bit harder, or they don't seem to be as public with with um, what how much people are streaming. But we we're already there, Steve. It might be the beginning of it that the the foothills of the mountain. Oh no, I'm um, I'm saying it's TV's last hurrah. I think the only reason no, TV ratings are doing any good, and they are doing well in in Australia, they're doing well. Is time because zone helps, people are locked down and the timing, absolutely. Yeah, time zone helps. Look, I don't think, I don't think lockdown's got anything to do with it, frankly, or at least very little to do with it. The, the suggestion that TV won't, be, it won't have relevance in three years' time at the next Olympics is poppycock, frankly. Um, it's, um, it'll, it'll, its utility may be, may be eroded somewhat, or it's not utility. The percentage of, of viewers it captures across the entire spectrum of the ways you can watch things may be eroded a little bit. It'll be a gradual decline. I agree with you, it's, it's a declining way of viewing things but it'll be gradually it won't be seismic like i think you're suggesting the timing is great though isn't it i mean i say you know 11 a 11 a.m is a slightly depressing 10 to 15 minutes as we all tune into gladys and her daily updates riles you'd be familiar with that with chairman dan from from last year easy and then within 15 or 20 minutes we get the swimming finals so having you know gone through the depressing 10 or 15 minutes of hearing the daily case numbers were suddenly uplifted by the Australian swimmers. It's fantastic. It, it, you know, it's difficult being down here in Melbourne and, and resisting the schadenfreude. But anyway, <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> it, has been, uh, it has been interesting to watch how the different sports um, try to... Well, how the, the TV coverage for the different sports tries to accommodate the fact that there is nobody watching the actual events and very skillfully manipulating mm. the camera angles. So there are very few shots of empty stadiums. I, I think mm. one that's going to be super challenging is the athletics because it's, it's you know, meant to be in this great, I don't know, 80,000, 90,000 um, capacity amphitheatre. And mm. it was kind of... We got a taste of that in Rio because you might remember that the, um, the attendance at the Rio Olympics in the athletics wasn't great. Uh, and it really, okay. for whatever reason, detracted a lot from from the spectacle. And for me, the athletics is is you know the the um, the blue ribbon event of the Olympics. But with no spectators, I, I'm not sure it's going to be it's going to be difficult to uh, to pull it off. Road cycling doesn't really matter that much. Surfing yeah. doesn't matter that much. But what athletics about skateboarding could have an impact. Skateboarding, don't get me started. Thirteen well, year I, old medalists. How about that? I found myself fascinated, Gilly, by I found myself thinking about this. Um, what you're saying when I watched one of the Ollie Ruse uh, games recently. Um, and I, I, is this how they do it? I was just picturing a, a, a person with basically a dial. And they've got, a, you know, you turn it up as the excitement goes, you get increases, and they turn it down again. And they turn it up, and they turn it up, and, and they turn it down. Is that, how, is that mechanically how it's working? I, well, that's I, what they've been doing in the AFL for the last 12 months. Yeah, but is that, I know that they've been, doing, they've been creating that, but it only sort of occurred to me to think how they're doing it. Because they're doing it live. Obviously. Of course, yeah. So is it just they've just got a dialer, a slider, and they just sort of you know up, move it up to eleven when someone's what a great a goal. What a great job that'd be. <laughs> just, so I turn it to eleven. I just started visualising this person sitting at a sound desk with a slider or a dial. I take the dial in mind, just going up and down and up. Ooh, ooh, so, up so I think you're exactly right. There's a few companies <laughs> claiming to do it. They're claiming that they're using AI 
to you know uh, to understand when the crescendos of a game would happen, and that way it's mm. natural. But no, nah, I think I think you got it in one. There's a guy with the mm. dial. Yeah. There's a couple of moments where I thought, hang on a sec, you haven't quite got that there. So maybe I mean, the AI is not quite perfect. I must say, the Channel 7 commentators probably need a bit more up to 10 or 11. I find the commentary a little bit low-key. Thorpey, Basil, well, look, it's not really doing it for me. Where is Bruce? Where is, you know, in years gone by, Daryl Eastlake? As we know all too well, Jono, from sitting in our living rooms instead of a studio, it is harder to get ramped up when you are not there. And I, I just I, look. I, I think, in fairness to the commentators, I didn't really, really grasp the fact they weren't there until Channel Seven released that footage of um, Basil and Thorpey uh, commentating. Um, I think Titmus's first goal. I think it might have been in front and, of the screen. Know, they're just sitting at the desk, you know, in in some corner of the studio in in um, in Melbourne. I think they're running it out of. So um, I think you're being a bit okay. harsh, Simon. I think yeah, Thorpey. Mm-hmm. He, every time he makes a technical comment. You sort of watch the next lap and you go, oh, my God, he's right. Oh, my God, he, he picked. He's right. He's just brilliant. I, I just miss Daryl Eastlake. We're, I'm we're a simple man. I miss, the guy I miss Bruce and Daryl. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Oh, dear. Dear, dear. Um, well, look, Steve, you alluded to this uh, a little earlier. Um, the other person we're missing from the tournament is uh, the US gymnast Simone Biles in uh, something of a... Um, a surprise, a shock, I suppose. Uh, citing, well, initially it was portrayed by the US Olympic team as a medical issue, and she came out pretty promptly and said it was a mental health issue. So, um, a very interesting extension, I suppose, if that's the right word, of you know the movement uh, that is upon us, where mental health is a legit reason to um, to be open and honest about the, your struggles, and a, and a reason to to pull a pin. Absolutely. Look, I think there's, there's, there's three people we should contrast when we talk about this. There's Simone Biles, who has, um, well, done the most unexpected thing. And when she's jumped through the air, lost track of where she was, and mm. then realised that her head just wasn't in the game. And this, um, then we'll, we'll come back to her. Then there's Naomi Osaka, who lit the flame, uh, but got knocked out in the third round and talked about the pressure of being the face of the Olympics, and I think you know Simone Biles would be the same over in the States, where really it's just athletic swimming and gymnastics, uh, and US and basketball. Um, and then there's Novak Djokovic, who um, mm-hmm. like, he, he's so wise and always wants to share his wisdom, and talked about uh, pressure being a privilege. And, and it was it was interesting to see the the contrast. You know, the I don't think he meant to lack empathy. But he's sort of um, what was implied was that you train yeah, you to handle that? the pressure. He's trained himself mm. to handle all the pressure, the brick bats, the good times, the bad times. Um, and yeah, and maybe it's maybe it's easier for him to do. I mean, you've got to put a Sarkar aside here because I suppose she's in the same boat as Jocka in the sense that they're playing all the time, so they're used to this. Uh, Simone Giles is on the the big stage once every four years. I suppose there's also four years, <laughs> five years, of pent up pressure um and there's only one you know there's only 30 seconds in which to get it right or wrong and your entire olympiad preceding olympiad whether it be four or five years uh is down the drain it's gymnastics is a unique sport in that respect i mean it is it really comes down to a few moments of precision and doing what you probably practiced a million times in that four-year period but you get one chance to get it right and if you make the smallest mistake it's all over so it's a it's a pressure cooker um environment for sure i think um djokovic's comments definitely came across as lacking empathy but i agree with you steve i don't think he he meant it um in a well they can't handle it kind of way i think he was maybe just talking about his own ability to to cope with and and handle pressure um but maybe didn't choose his words as well as he as he could have in the circumstances but but riddle me this right um because i think we're all supportive of naomi osaka saying i'm not going to do the press conference it's it's not a healthy environment simone biles you know, misses a jump, doesn't think think that she's there for the night and backs away. Is that the right thing to do or should she battle through even if she's going to lose? 
Well, it's almost like she's taking one for the team. It's almost like the player that stays on the footy field for too long and they're too injured and they want to stay out there because they want to be part of it and they think they're doing the right thing by the team, but in fact they would be better off getting off and getting a healthy person on. And she was replaced, wasn't she? She was allowed to have someone else sub in for her. It wasn't like she left the team completely in the lurch. I think someone else was allowed to come in and, and jump for her and do everything else. I'm not sure, but whatever they managed with, they still got silver, so they they were still competitive. So that's probably right. Um, oh, look, I think she was right to step away, but it, it's a really interesting change to the way we think about sport and, and hanging tough. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I kind of feel like there's there's more to this story um, and maybe something had been brewing in the background for quite some time. It, it does seem, and, you know, yes, I, I understand what happened and it's, it's great that she's being supported, but it is, it is a, it's an unusual thing for a sports person to do. And, and especially when you are effectively the captain of the team, you, the, the, the hopes of your team are not completely, but predominantly riding on your shoulders and you, you pull out. If, if the captain of the Oli Roos had done that against Egypt in the football, it's, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting question that you raise. But Bear, there's definitely more to the story for sure. I mean, US Gymnastics has been through a, a horrible four to eight years. I mean, they've been through the the scandal with their former team doctor, Larry Nasser, being charged and ultimately convicted of horrible sexual abuse, um, you know, which was unbelievably broad-ranging. And you know, Simone, Simone Biles was caught up in that and, and no doubt this is playing a, a massive role. So, um, yeah, it's a, a terrible story, I think, in a lot of respects. Do you think it's different in a social media land that they're twenty four seven? Do you think it's any different to what it was, yeah, five years ago, yeah. nine years ago? <laughs> Massively, I would have thought that proximity to the fans, that instantaneous of instantaneousness of response um, from from the media as well. I, I would have, I think would have thought that's a big thing, and in a way, it sort of addresses a question I was also going to going to ask. I mean, what happened to the people such as Simone Biles? you know, 12, 16, 20 years ago who were in the same boat where it just wasn't the thing to do to bail and they pressed on because they had to press on. Well, we, we the, talked about one of them before, you know, Thorpey gave the game away. He said it just wasn't mm. worth it and he was a, he was a god. Cathy mm. Freeman only just got there, didn't she? I mean, she described how the weight of the world was on her shoulders. We all saw how she reacted after she won that race. I've had cause to um, to to repeat on on Twitter and in response to a couple of things. The, one of the most brilliant bits of commentary, most revealing bits of commentary ever, which was at the conclusion of Freeman's 200 in Sydney, where she crosses the line and Bruce goes. Bruce is co-commentating with uh, previous Olympian Raylene Boyle, and Bruce goes, "What a legend! What a champion!" And without missing a beat, Raylene goes, "What a relief!" And it's it is amusing, but it's it, it's very very insightful because that Bruce's lines might have been rehearsed. I'm tipping Raylene's weren't, and she that was very insightful. And indeed, funnily enough, you know you might remember um, Jess Fox in the canoe and kayaking, who you know her first crack um, only got to, it was bronze, wasn't it? In the end, yeah. how quickly we forget. Yeah. yeah. Um, but of course, we remember the following night, following night, not not after that. Uh, where she won, she won gold. And on a different note, how amazing is having having her father, her own father, commentating that sport, and therefore her her runs is incredible. Did you actually anyone catch the commentary of the gold medal run? Didn't say it. No. Oh, Talk us through it, Paul. Do, Talk us through oh, it. Do yourself a favour and, and go and watch the whole thing, because yeah, so it's um, it's a oh, commentator's name. Forget uh, the broadcaster. I forget who it is. Apologies to that person, but um, yeah, Mr. Fox. So I'm not sure what his <laughs> first name is, um, but it's got you know Olympian down the bottom, um, and yeah, for the first I reckon half of the run, that's an exaggeration. First quarter of the run, which goes for a minute ten or something, there's silence. There's no commentating. And then sort of, you know, they finally get up and running. And then she wins the gold. Uh, and, you know, he's trying to maintain the level-headed, I'm commentating here. And then the broadcaster is just egging him on. So how does that feel? Is it, you know, joy, triumph, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he says relief before he starts going, you know, what a, what a beautiful paddler and a beautiful person. And, yep. And then you can just sort of tell he breaks down into tears <laughs> with the mic off. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's terrific. 
Um, but yeah, so plenty of pressure around for those athletes. So, but, so um, you, you introed the show talking about the glow of the Olympics. I think once it got going, I think the press has really jumped in there. The newspapers have jumped in there. But I'm I'm not sure a month ago we had all the swimmers' names in our heads, you know, the oh, way God, we no, have in, in previous... We you know, never do. Years. What are you talking about? There's a bandwagon, Riles. We're jumping aboard. Uh, Settle down. About three minutes after the opening ceremony, uh, all aboard. <laughs> I, I know I know what Steve's talking about, but I think we have to go back about three decades to remember that when our parents bought us like the Olympic almanac and yeah. like you read that thing from back front to back about eighty five times before the Olympics, and you you knew the East German who was favourite to win the sixty seven point five snatch and jerk or whatever discipline of weightlifting it was. Those days, do you know what I find difficult? And this makes makes me feel really old, but finding out when what I want to watch is actually on. Like, the, oh, the schedule just completely bamboozles me. So I... Oh, I, Dave, so you're not good with a diary at the best of times. <laughs> Bas- basically... Prepared, <laughs> so for me, it's complete. It's basically completely random as to what I watch, which is... Can be it's bad, beautiful. But, but it's good in some ways because you end up watching really random things that you weren't planning to watch and which are really good. Like, did anybody see the, um, the women's road race on Sunday night? Uh, grabs of it. Is that the one where the the person who came second thought they won? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. gold, gold. But in, well, no, un- yeah. no, un- silver, un- silver. <laughs> How did they get that wrong? Sorry, sorry to jump in. How did they get that wrong? Well, but in in professional cycling, the the cyclists have an electronic you know, electronic communications with their team cars. They don't in the Olympics. So this unknown Austrian rider broke away early and got a ten kilometer gap. Um, and they knew that there'd been a breakaway, but there were four riders. Um, I guess the Peloton thought there were three and they caught the three. So they, they thought we're on here, we're going for gold. But there was this Austrian girl who was another kilometer up the track and she won and it was fantastic because she was just, it was a great Olympic moment. She fell off her bike. She could barely breathe. She was crying, sobbing, laughing, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And then the, the Dutch rider came over almost as happy because she, she thought she'd also won a gold medal. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, she hasn't. But, you know, Silver's not too bad, and she did win the time trial uh, today, I think. Yeah, she did. The, it's uh, better, than, better than Lego, winning the, a silver medal. Better than what? Better than Lego. That's what a, an Australian swimmer who got bronze said. Apparently, it's a Matty Johns <laughs> quote from about 15 years ago. It's gone viral, Richie. I see. I'm yet to catch up. I'm, I'm, in, I'm vaccinated, Jono, so I, did, I missed that. Um, the, the thing about the cycling for me as a rev head is, is seeing uh, the Fuji motor racing circuit which they've been making use of a fair bit and it's not until you watch cyclists go around a racetrack at 60 kilometers now you realize how damn fast race cars are going (laughs) it's very pedestrian watching bikes go around a track obviously but it's quite quite the contrast um anything more to say about uh athletes and the pressure they're under or are we happy to leave them alone at this point (laughs) surely that's enough i think that is enough but we're keen to come back and talk a little bit more olympics a bit closer to home. Yeah, so more Olympics, there's too much Olympics is barely enough. Of course, the other big Olympic news is not what's going on at the Olympics at Tokyo itself, but the winner is Brizzy. Uh, Brisbane, of course, having won, I think, is is won the right expression? Can you... Is, is it winning when you, there's only one of you competing effectively? Uh, have, of course, uh, acquired the rights to the uh, 2032 Olympic Games. And they come back to Australia for the third time, the Games. Uh, quick pop quiz. What country or countries has hosted the Olympics more times than Australia has? Ooh. U- mm. USA. USA. Yeah. Um, well, how, many, how many for the Yanks? St. Louis, LA twice, and Atlanta, so four. With, uh, there's another one in there. Um, LA coming up again. Yeah, so it's four at the moment. Yeah, fair, fair point. So it's four at the moment with five, a fifth one in, in, the, in the wings. Uh, London three times. Yeah, so they equal us. Well, I mean, if you treat London as a, as a, as a country, <laughs> which some people do, Brexit voters do. Riles is still pensively looking at the distance there, trying to work out if he can come up with another one. Yeah, I only had the US in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's it. 
uh, I must say I haven't researched definitively, but I thought I'd throw that in there. But uh, it's good going for a little country down in the uh, the at the arse end of the world. Thanks, Paul Keating. Uh, third. We're just a battler, aren't we? We've oh, done well, though. Punching above our weight, Jono. Punching above our weight. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, interesting. The, the process. Do you guys get the new process? You sort of cross it. I care do. About it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, well, isn't it? I think we should all be worshiping at the foot of the John Coates altar. Well, yeah. Hasn't he done a fantastic job, little John Coates? He delivered Sydney Olympics to us back in two thousand. He's done the same. The He's the key, the key lieutenant to uh, Thomas Buck, the president of the IOC. Mm. But yeah, did you really? I mean, it's quite interesting, this new process. So I think in 2016, after all of the brouhaha over the alleged uh, corruption involved with uh, recent Olympic City appointments, they decided to streamline the process. But that streamlined process basically involved allowing a very small number of people within the IOC fraternity to decide who it would be. As I understand it, the new streamlined, more transparent process simply gave rise to a greater opacity in the process so that even less people know what's going on, even less cities have a shot, and it's um, more by appointment rather than a genuine competitive, competitive process. Oi, oi, oi. I think you guys should just, just be careful. John Coates is the only non-questionable, non-corrupt person in the Olympic mm. movement ever. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's like drug taking. Us Aussies don't do it. It's all the others. We're not corrupt. It's all the others. Our mum put it and, in and our stuff somehow. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And often a tangent. Good to see Johnny Coates popping up at a few uh, medal ceremonies as well. Yes, I was uh, about... Coincidentally. Yeah. He, he, he has the Midas touch. Australian wins a gold medal. Oh, it's John Coates. Uh, yeah, fancy that. Um, but back to the point in hand. I mean, Johnny, you were talking to us just before we went uh, to Digits. Uh, you, it's not just within Australia that his reputation is as it is. Uh, it's also acknowledged uh, around the world. As, as you, I mean, he's vice, vice, uh, he's vice president, isn't he? One of the vice presidents of the IOC. He, he's got a number of roles. So he, he wears many hats, Johnny Coates. Uh, he's very right. Machiavellian. So I think he's got four hats, maybe five. So he's the, he was the IOC's liaison officer of the Tokyo Olympics, so basically in charge of making sure the Tokyo Olympics took place. But at the same time, he was the head of the AOC, the Australian Olympic Commission. Mm. Whilst also doing those two jobs, he led the IOC's legal commission, so their legal function, and at the same time, he headed up the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Yes, yes. So four different hats. Um, he was doing very well. Nothing you, you like separation about, of powers at the top end of the IOC. Well, you did mention before how opaque the process was. There was a German politician when he found out that Brisbane had got the nod for 2032 who said that the outcome could hardly be surpassed in terms of non-transparency. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a curious system. I mean, it's designed, obviously, to reduce costs so that you don't have five or six cities splurging massive amounts of money right up in decision time, fating IOC delegates and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think it's, it's well documented now that in 1992, 1993, Sydney did what it needed to do to win the games. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Well, he did. I mean, Coates admitted, didn't he, back in yeah. the early 90s, that he, he'd paid or the AOC had offered inducements worth, I think, $70,000 mm. to a couple of IOC members from Africa, Africa on the eve of the host city vote. Mm. Um, and Coates was quoted as saying, well, we didn't win it on the beauty of the city and the sporting facilities <laughs> we had to offer on their own, and we were never going to. So he did what needed to be done. Mm. Well, they only won that one by a vote of uh, 45 to 43. So, he, he, yeah, if you judge it by the result... Yeah, yay for, for, for Johnny. And, you know, the Sydney Olympics was a, was a triumph. So, uh, again, if you judge it by the ends and not the means. But tell me, are we celebrating Brisbane getting the Games or not? Yeah, I mean, kind of. Look, I mean, there's a Sydney sider who went the, the best Games ever. It's a bit sort of, how can that be topped, you know? But, look, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get up there. It's still 11 years away. My kids will be right in their athletic prime, the, the beginning of their athletic prime. So we're already, already hatching a plan for my daughter to be a gymnast. Um, one of the boys wants to be a water poloist, water polo player. Seriously. Um, so, uh, well, you know, he's five years old. So I don't think he quite realises the aerobic uh, necessities of that sport. I think that's a sport where I'd be uh, good for 30 seconds, then I'd probably need rescuing. Um, <laughs> well, he'll be too old. As long as... Um, skateboarder. Well, very much so. As long as Anastasia is not the Premier, I'm okay with it. Oh, come on. <laughs> By 2032. Keep politics out of sport, Jono. 
Um, yeah, look, it's good. I, I want to know what's happened, whether Matilda is still going around. <laughs> From the Commonwealth Games in 82, was it? Yes, exactly. The 82 Commonwealth Games mascot, that... 10 foot high paper mache thing that they wheeled around <laughs> the kangaroo yeah and it had the mechanical blink do you remember that that's it right you could blink <laughs> wink sorry not not blink wink yeah so hope, hopefully matilda is in mothballs out there somewhere and she can get matilda would be 50 years old i would have thought yeah well we'll be uh, we'll be uh, for those games obviously uh, is that right yeah we'll be for those yeah, games if, if, i think that'd be appropriate if brisbane 2032 can can outdo Brisbane Commonwealth Games 1982 then it would have done well I mean Rob DeCostello won the marathon Raylene Boyle won the 400 remember that it was it was fantastic stuff to your point earlier Gilly about there was a time where we knew every detail about everything and we don't these days (laughs) I'm pretty sure during the 82 Commonwealth Games I'm pretty sure I watched the lawn bowls quite a bit oh yeah oh that's part of the beauty of the Commonwealth Games but we but we digress um other people enthusiasm for the games are you already planning for what your kids are going to be good at um look as a relative European of, handball as a relative of Ross, mine sorry, once said as a relative of mine once said um I remember when the Melbourne Olympics was billed as a once in a lifetime uh, <laughs> event and and here we go again look I, I'm just scared to death at the way that the IOC has treated Japan <coughs> um and and basically held them over a financial barrel or perhaps held them at financial gunpoint to put on this uh, this games, uh, you know, I'm joking about the skateboarding a little bit, but you look at the skateboarding and the stands. The stands were massive, vertiginous. They are, if you can imagine, with a crowd there, that would have gone off a bit like you know beach volleyball at the Sydney Olympics. It would have established it as a genuine event, um, party event. And now that it's empty and you've got. Uh, you know, Toyota are not advertising in Japan because they think mm. that the, the local population will resent them for doing so. You know, I think, I, d- I just worry that we've signed a, a deal with the devil and, and, and perhaps it was the devil of course we did. who, who uh, organised it all. So what, sorry, I, don't, I haven't quite joined the dots here, Steve. So you're concerned about the way they've treated, the ICs treated Japan. How does that feed into your fear about Brisbane? What's your concern with relation to Brisbane? Or is it just, that's the IOC for you? That's the IOC, yeah. That's been the IOC. It's it's highlighted, it's it's brought into sharp relief because of the extent, the the lengths they've needed to go to to get the games going. Yeah. Because of obviously what's going on. but yeah, that's that's the machine. That's I. That's the IOC. Hey, look, it's, again, if we hark back to the Sydney Games. It was very clear what we were signing up to, and the IOC had various powers over local local laws and regulations. Basically, it, it's a it's an amazing thing you're committing to by signing that contract. We just need to organise a golf weekend for that period and uh, have it locked in. And Richie, you can drive the golf carts. Happy to. Look, as long as golf is not in the Olympics by then, because is there anything more ridiculous than golf? in the Olympics. I know I've said this before and I'll say it again, but it is just absurd. It is so incongruous. It's just out of place. It doesn't, I, don't, I know you know that I don't like, I'm not a massive fan of golf per se, but even putting that aside, what the hell is golf doing in the Olympics? Why, because it's a, a, a professional sport like basketball? Or? So go, if you've got, it, look, if you've got a sport in the Olympics, it needs to be at or effectively the biggest thing you can do in that sport. When you, like tennis, basketball? Tennis is in the same, bear with me, tennis is in the same boat here. When athletes are going, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite fit in on my schedule. I, I, actually, I'll skip the Olympics. That is wrong. That is wrong. Basketball is different because the athletes there recognise that, yes, they have their world championship and, yes, they have the NBA um, finals, etc. But, you know, all countries still want to represent their country at the Olympics. And I'm not a fan of basketball either, John. You know that too. So don't give me the whole, what about basketball thing? And what about football, Roger? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's the World Game, so it's kind of understandable. It's no, a bit of a I'm with Mickey you. Mouse I, I think the I think Paul's rules apply to to football. The World Cup is yeah. bigger. Euro is bigger, right? The the mm. Olympics is uh, uh, it's a it's a toy version that you know shouldn't be there. But deliberately at FIFA's behest, Gilly Curran, if I'm wrong, FIFA basically said, eh, "You want to have football? We got to make it under 23 so that you don't compete with our with our version." Well, that was when, they, yeah, that was that was kind of when they let professional players into the Olympics because it was strictly amateur at the Olympics for a long time, right. and then they started letting professional players in, but on the condition that you could only have the um, the three overage players, which I think is I think is still. The rule, I suppose, uh, you know, one of the things with yep. the Olympics and these sports, yes, their inclusion is 
is controversial, but they're good TV sports. And there are a lot of sports in the Olympics, the traditional ones that, let's face it, um, are not that entertaining to watch, um, as traditional as they may be, judo, Roman, Greco-Roman wrestling, uh, equestrian Etc. Etc. Et so I think I think doesn't they... mean you replace them with things that don't belong there. Well, we'll we'll take this one offline, Richie. <laughs> no, no, that's what the show's all about, Gilly. We're not taking offline at all. <laughs> for and against, mate. I'm for the proposition that golf and others are stupid sports. Skateboarding's in there. Surfing's in there. That's another. While well, I'm on my a high horse, anything that requires objective subjective judgment. It shouldn't be in Oh, gymnastics. Like gymnastics? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. settle down. What, no ice yeah, dancing in the Winter Olympics? Oh, my God. 100%. 100%. <laughs> it's a Synchronised swimming? Oh, God, get rid of that. Jeepers. Who, who let that in? Honestly, whose idea was that? So, Rochi, anyway, what's, what's, what's left in your Olympics? It's going to be like... <laughs> it's going to be a three-day event. It's a pure <laughs> Spartan athletic prowess. Don't give me this rubbishy... Frilly dresses and all that sort of pizzazz. Yeah, no, athletic competition. No shoes for the athletes. Um, it's, yeah. I think he was advocating for more it. than no shoes. He went Spartan. <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. Doesn't like judo, so but just wrestling at, is back. Yeah. So just keep an eye out for Paul Roach's campaign for running the Brisbane Olympics, and you'll see some changes. <laughs> I like it. The Breakaway Olympics. Funded, masterminded by Stephen Riley, designed and choreographed by Paul Roach. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks, on For and Against. Alrighty, so on to the shootout now where we cover a few uh, more <laughs> other, other topics in uh, short fashion. Uh, I want to talk about rugby league first of all. Uh, interesting move by both Australia and New Zealand to bail on the Rugby League World Cup due to be held in England, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, uh, over the, that part of the world in uh, later, later in this year. I think it might be October. And uh, John, I was very interested to see a chap by the name of Simon Johnson. My namesake, yes. brother. Exactly. Uh, namesake Simon Johnson had a few things to say about the uh, ARLC and the NZRL uh, when they announced they were pulling out sometime in sort of... Um, Early to late, I'm oh, sorry, mid to late July. Branding them selfish, oh, parochial, and cowardly. You read the same article as me, presumably. Um, yes, it is, of course, based in the UK, uh, happening later this year. So I don't know. I think he's just um, sour grapes. Uh, I don't think he realises we're from a country where uh, countries where our vaccination is not that great, and we're going to a country where there's 130 odd thousand people have been killed. Easy, easy, Rochi. There's two sides to this oh, story. Come on. Simon Johnson knows what he's talking about. As they all do. Both that one and this one. As they all do. So let's just give that a little bit of thought. I mean, it's a unilateral decision by the Australian Rugby League and the New Zealand Rugby League in circumstances where we've sent our cricketers to the West Indies, we've sent our Olympians to Tokyo, the Wallabies are off to New Zealand and then to Europe in October. Why have we suddenly decided we can't send the Rugby League players to England? Uh I think it's a bit outrageous. None of those destinations have had uh, high death rates. Uh, by the way, hey, but, uh, oh, Rochi, we sent uh, that's complete poppycock. We sent Jamaica. We sent Dan Ricardo. No, she went to Silverstone. Yeah, thanks, Ross. What was that, Gilly? Sorry, we sent Dan Ricardo to Silverstone in front of, in the middle, in the midst of one hundred and forty thousand coronavirus yeah. ravaged Englishmen. He was fine. Yes, that's true. That's true. I don't think he was probably vaccinated, and I don't think he mixed too much with the people. But um, anyway. Look, I think, I think it's an interesting uh, thing here. There, there's clearly something fishy going on. Peter Volandis was one of the boldest movers uh, saying that the show must go on uh, last year in the in the height of the, the first real go-round for COVID. I think there's... I, I, I don't know what it is, if there's not enough money or he's trying to protect the players. Um, yeah, if it's the latter, you know, perhaps good on him. It's interesting he's not saying as much. The thing is, they're talking about postponing it for 12 months, but that's not a practical reality because in 12 months, the Commonwealth Games will be happening and there's the FIFA World Cup as well. So there's no window for the Rugby World Cup to happen. So basically, it's come down to the Australian Rugby League and the New Zealand Rugby League unilaterally cancelling the World Cup. 
Are we okay with that? I'm fine with it because it's going to give us a very entertaining World Cup because England will go in as raging hot favourites and they will find a, an <laughs> incredibly <laughs> imaginative way to, to, to somehow lose. Like maybe not even make it out of the group stage. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Lebanon uh, beats them 12-8 in the, uh, the go, last group. Go Tonga. Boil over at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> the USA. Oh, fantastic. Look, I mean, the other component to that story, I mean, you, you say unilaterally, John, it's interesting that um, the heat that they're getting, that the, the, the official is getting within Australia, and I think in New Zealand as well, is that there was no consultation with the players. The Rugby League Players Association was a little peeved that they weren't consulted in this, and, you know, the suggestion is that plenty of players would have been, would have been yep. keen to go. So They um, also apparently only gave four minutes heads up to the uh, the organising committee before they release their press release, so pretty uh, pretty poor form. Hmm. Fair enough. Oh well, there you go. With a bit of luck, uh, go Lebanon in the Rugby World Cup later this year. Um, look, the IPL. It, it, it's some interesting things going on in cricket, and specifically the IPL. I, I always love it when the American sports media discover things that the world has known about for a long time. I was sort of watched with a lot of interest maybe twelve months ago, where the Supreme Court allowed. Uh, the US Supreme Court allowed betting in sport and so it's quite funny watching all the hullabaloo around um, the US sports adapting to betting being allowed um, but they've discovered the IPL uh, and I, I think that I read somewhere that it's basically to to Disney Plus so one of the streaming services over there and I'm pretty sure ESPN's under the Disney banner is it not people I'm pretty sure it is it, it is but um, it's the Star Plus uh, brand over in uh, in India oh. Okay, right, I've misread that. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, not Star Plus, Star um, India. Yeah. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah. But it's, I mean, the, the value, I mean, I know we talked about this. Was it last show or the show before about the numbers around the IPL? It's just, it's just amazing. And to sort of, to carry on that conversation, it looks like they're, they're looking to expand to 10 teams, which they reckon will bring in near, or almost $270 million for each of the current IPL teams, if I understand that correctly. Uh, it, the numbers around this thing are unbelievable. Well, if you believe the, the rating, something like 44% of India watch the IPL in some way, shape or form, that's, that's half a billion, with a B, half a billion people uh, watching the mm. game. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's, that's, uh, that's almost the world game right there. Well, mm. it's a lot of gambling happening as well. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's when, when you say the world game. I mean, there, there are more eyeballs now on the Indian IPL, if you believe some statistics, than there are on English Premier League football. So, mm. three billion people watching IPL in an IPL season, which only goes for it's a few months, right? six, six weeks. weeks, very very short event. So, the 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 potential for growth with the IPL from so many different dimensions is is huge it's it, the competition can be lengthened and expanded it's nowhere it's nowhere near saturation point in terms of how big it can get as a competition and then you've got you're going to have a growing TV audience in India and that audience over time is going to be comprised of people who are becoming wealthier and wealthier and worth more and more um, from an advertising perspective so I'm sure the um, American investors know very little about cricket, but they, they do know a good thing when they see it. Yeah, I mean, the article I read, uh, there's a, <clears throat> a group called Redbird Capital who I'm pretty sure have stakes in uh, in the in uh, Boston, the Red Sox, and maybe even Liverpool, Gilly. Uh, yes, no, maybe, not sure. Um, but they've got a finger in a few sporting pies, and they've just um, taken 15% of the Rajasthan Royals um, valuing it at uh, $255 million, that club would have taken that stake. So it's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, as I say, it was just sort of half humorous um, with the Americans now becoming, uh, having their eyes opened to uh, Premier League cricket. So good luck with those investments, guys. I'm sure you'll make plenty of money out of it, just like you're supposed to. That's what IPL is all about. And finally, on the shootout, uh, we, we drag for the It's Not Sport But We Like It file, which we bring up every so often. Uh, I want to talk about the world of competitive eating. Yes, you heard it here folk, first, folks. Um, and I was inspired by uh, uh, an article, an email I read, actually. I, 
uh, that drew this to my attention. It's um, it's from a, uh, it's an email from Huddle Up is the name of the group that sends out a. Uh, well, I'll read I'll read this to you. Every morning I write an email discussing the business and money behind sports. Huddle Up. However, this particular article is a little bit outside his uh, his hitting zone. Uh, it is about the competitive world of or the the world of competitive eating, and in particular, <clears throat> a guy called Joey Chestnut. And I did love that surname, given the. Uh, it's not for real. Uh, uh, maybe I hadn't thought of it like that, but perhaps. Um, basically, he has won a hot dog eating contest. Uh, he's which is the sort of proxy world championship, basically, having eaten a world record of seventy six hot dogs in ten minutes uh, in early July. So I'd be okay with the dog, but what do you do with the bread, like the the bun? Mm. It's the bun as well. Seventy six buns. I presume so because the, the, on the, in this what I'm reading and it, it describes the nutritional information of the seventy six hot dogs with buns. And well, there's, a, there's a lot of calories and a lot. It's a of dry argument. Carbs. It's a what? Is that supposed to be a, a dry argument? You'd have to hydrate a lot to eat seventy six. He, he must have hot dogs an and buns. Incred- be able to generate incredible volumes of saliva just to swallow saliva. that much bread mm. but i was um interested by the yeah. photo of joey chestnut he's sort of he looks quite um well you wouldn't call him overweight yeah lean, yeah, lean. he's kind yeah. of winded yeah yeah true yeah. he must do a lot of running but he's he makes like he doesn't make money out of pro- much out of prize money there's a little bit of prize money floating around although he does compete a plenty of competitions so he makes a bit but he, he makes his money from endorsements they reckon he's worth two mil. Now this guy has won the, you know, so the proxy world championship for all but one of the last fifteen, basically. Um, how do you train for it, Reggie? What are you, what oh, are you doing? Do you eat like fifteen or or twenty, or how do you? That's a good question. Rev yourself up for it. Yeah, you'd have to taper for it, wouldn't you? I would have thought so. And is it like you know when you're trying to run a marathon, you don't really run a whole marathon. That last few k's is just on adrenaline. Maybe you only really eat fifty hot dogs. And then the um, last twenty six, uh, yeah, the just ble- on the day, the blaring music, the cheering crowd, egging you on, just the height and the drive. <laughs> I don't know, that's what it is. Keep eating, Joey. Keep eating. This, yeah, this does right. this does bother me every Olympics. Mm. You know, you look at at the sprinters, right, running a hundred meters, and you know they, they they train for that burst, for that sudden surge of energy, and they just have to run for ten seconds, and that's it. Our swimmers, and you know, who are sprinting for fifty, a hundred, even two hundred meters. 5am every morning, they're doing laps, lap after lap after lap. Now, we could take, you know, approach number one to hot dog eating and really smash it in there, smash it in there, you know, get that intensity up, you know, or we could just do a couple of hours of easy hot dog eating, get the technique <laughs> right, just knowing that under pressure it'll hold. And deal Richie, with- are, they, are they allowed to have condiments? I'm really quite intrigued. So... <laughs> Because I, I think if there was some mustard and some tomato sauce, I could do, I don't know, I reckon I could do 40 or 50. 76 is fair play. I, I could, I reckon I could do. You know, do. I was going to bring up condiments because I do know you love your condiments. You know, when the, the barbecue happens and the condiments plate tray comes out, your eyes do light up. Um, so Joey, part of his, him, him being worth a lot of money is he has his own line of condiments. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, for hot dogs, brats, sausages, wings, sandwiches, and more. Wow. Um, so it's not clear from the article I've, I've read whether or not that, that that's a, you're allowed to BYO condiments or whether there's some um, you know or, um, some state sanction or states it's so the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 peak body of competitive eating whether they sanction certain condiments. It's it's not that clear. Wow. But, um, yeah, maybe it's those, research for next those time. condiments, you, if you bring your own condiments and they've got extra lubricant, you know, that, that's not on. Yeah, I can mm. see. Yeah. Right, yeah, extra chilli, so you sort of create more space in your system. So, yeah, Gilly, get us out of here. It's yep. good to see that, you know, he really is the Michael Phelps of eating because he, he it's not just hot dogs with Joey Chestnut. And he's, he has world records in really? hard-boiled eggs. Uh, oh, pull. Oh. <laughs> Pulled pork sandwiches. How many? How many? How many? Forty-five in ten minutes. Ah! Uh, oh. This this was the one that I found the most disturbing. Twinkies, one hundred and twenty-one in six minutes. Wow! So what, what's a twi- it's a chocolate bar? Is it twink the Twinkie? No, 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 no. What's a Twinkie? It's a yellow it's confectionery <laughs> thing. Uh, it's a US thing. It's yeah, like a little. I realise that. I just don't know. I had, can't picture it. 
despite having spent some time with it. What also, chicken wings. Dave, chicken wings. Chicken wings. I saw the chicken wings, actually. How about the bones? Sorry, Ross. But chicken wings. Bones are going everywhere. You, you die doing that, potentially. A lot of technique How much in the left chicken over? wings. Okay. I, I looked at that list of his records. What intrigues me is the hard-boiled eggs, 141 in eight minutes. Pulled pork, 45 in 10 minutes. Twinkies, 121 in six minutes. And uh, what was one? You just chicken wings, 413 in 12 hours. Um, that sounds wrong. But I don't understand why there's not a standard time for eating competitions. Mm. Yeah. I'd go the wings. I'd take him on on the wings. Yeah, maybe we should have a bit of practice, Jono, because I don't mind the wings. I reckon that would be interesting. Um, yeah, look, anyway, look, uh, clearly this is a, a topic that's, that's engendered some interest. Um, and look, you know, you might recall me earlier. Look out for my push to run the Brisbane Games in 2032. <laughs> Mmm, look out for competitive eating at Brisbane 2032. <laughs> uh, on to Red Card, Yellow Card, our favourite part of the show, where we shine the light back on misdemeanours or something similar of sporting people or sporting organisations, things they'd rather forget about, but we're very happy dragging them back into the spotlight and giving them a red card or a yellow card, depending on the severity of their transgression. Uh, Riles, how about you start us off? So I am going to nominate Wimbledon. Ooh. Now, Wimbledon go should be in our good books. You know, I, I, think, I think the Olympics is going to enjoy a surge of popularity in Australia because we have won a bunch of medals and there's nothing we like better than the bandwagon, as you guys pointed out. Well, Wimbledon should be high on our list as well because the fabulous Ash Barty is our new reigning Wimbledon ladies' champion. Interestingly, mm. though, while they were um, taking her through a, an absolute marathon of um, celebration, handshakes, well, bows and photos, they took a photo of her in front of the Wimbledon honour board. And on mm. that board, we can <clears throat> see a couple of previous winners. There's Miss M. Navratilova in 1979. In 1980, there's Mrs. R. Corley, and in 1981, there's mm. Mrs. J. M. Lloyd, mm. both of whom you I might know better this. as Yvonne Gulagong and Chris Evert. Mm. Out, but whose husbands? Sorry, sorry, Roz, you're telling the story. You know, you are. You've got it exactly right. That that they are their husbands' names, and uh, just outrageous, just outrageous. But Steve, aren't you being woke? And this is a word I'm still grasping what the real meaning is, the meaning of that word is, but I think it's a good idea to use that word because it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. That, that, was, that, was, that was 40 years ago, Steve. That's just the way it was back then. You can't apply today's standards to what was going on in 1979, mate. Well, that might be so, Paul, but you can take the honour board and rewrite the names any time in the last 40 years nah, and so get that's, it right. That's, re, that's rewriting history. That's censorship. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, God. I just anyway. for the moment, I just want to tell our listeners, he's not serious. Mm, yeah. <laughs> three, three quarters not serious. Uh, um, the transcript outrageous. doesn't read well for you, Richard. Super, <laughs> super red card. It's all context. You've got, to hear, you've got to hear the voice. Red card? Red. Wow, that's a bit harsh. Okay. Jono, what about yourself, mate? Oh, Richie, I'm just going old school. Rugby league, um, COVID bubble breaches. Oh, We've had our fair share of oh, COVID bubble breaches. They're runnable. Can you imagine, like, 18 months ago, COVID bubble breach? Would you have ever used that expression? But we all know what that means right now. Has Willie Mason breached a bubble? I mean, that would be nice, nice, nice. He needs to. He really does. And and Brendan Favola. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Look, I reckon this is one of the worst bubble breaches. So it's one that we all know very well, sadly. And it's the uh, St. George Illawarra Dragons, uh, who decided to have a house party at uh, Paul Vaughan's house. This is in the middle of one of the uh, worst COVID outbreaks, harsh lockdown in Sydney, and 12 Dragons players thought it would be a good idea to mm. rock up to Paul Vaughan's house, have a bit of a party, a few beers, loud music. Of course, one of the neighbours decides to call the uh, the police. Police rock up. They find 10 or 12 people getting sucked into the beers, some music, and people running away, some people hiding under the bed. <laughs> Massive fines, suspensions, Paul Vaughan... Loses his contract, and um, what a bunch of clowns. Would that be red Vs under the bed? Yeah, um, well documented, and, and obviously, you know, befitting the colours we've already referenced, a, a straight red, surely, Jono? I think so. 
what what more to say, clowns? Um, Gilly, what about yourself, mate? Red card, yellow card nomination. Rochi, this one, <coughs> this one's for you. It's it's your favourite Formula One driver, Lewis Hamilton. Oh yeah. And this what's he done now? Th- this is for an outfit that he wore off course oh. at the Austrian Grand Prix, and I think I sent you a photo of this. This outfit. I was going to say, and I yeah, I, I'm not quite sure how to how to describe it, and I think we're probably going to have to put a photo on social media when we uh, when we post the show. Uh, to do it justice, but if I if I if I was to try and describe it, it's it's kind of like a, a pair of outdoor pajamas, um, mm. and the colours rosy, pink, red, and white, and very very floral. Only only Lewis um, could pull it off. Matched very floral. Matched with a pair of designer um, high tops. So I, I did a bit of research into what he was actually wearing, and it's surprising how easy it is to find these things out on the internet. Um, but he was wearing a pair of, and Simon, this is probably something that um, a, a brand that you're familiar with. A pair of uh, the, the the shorts and the shirt were Paris Casablanca. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, and those together cost about a thousand euros. I'm sure Lewis didn't pay a cent for them, but that was a thousand euros. And the high tops were from Alexander McQueen, and those could be yours tomorrow, Rochi. Fifteen hundred. Two thousand Australian. Ooh. Yeah, okay. Yep. I'm glad you blanched at that, Jono, because your face didn't miss a beat when you're going, oh, nice, at Paris Casablanca. Go on, Riles. Oh, I was just going to say, look, for some time there's been a little bit of rivalry between Dave and Simon about who is the fashionista mm. on the show, and, and I think mm. Dave just disqualified himself. All of a sudden he became <laughs> yes. an old man that can't keep up with the fashion. I think you're absolutely, well you're absolutely right because... I, the, the kind of fashion websites gave him thumbs up for the outfit. So yeah, I'm I'm yesterday's man when it comes to fashion. I, and, and look, I'm still Gilly. I'm still getting over you wearing your pajama shorts to that time we did Brecky Radio back in the mid 2010s. Remember that? That was you know that was straight out of the Lewis Hamilton playbook. Were they Alexander McQueen's? Uh, no, they were Paris Casablancas. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. <laughs> So we're giving Gilly a yellow, obviously, uh, and Lewis a red. I'm happy giving that a red. It's yeah, a bit harsh, I, think it's, but... I think it's a red card. Good, good, excellent. Okay, look, I've got another red card uh, coming up here in, in, in my books. Uh, it's golf. Jono, I know you love talking about golf, and, and I do too when I'm bagging it out, and uh, here we go. So you'd be aware that it's been tough times in Australia and indeed the world with this, this pan- pandemic-y thing. And government's been handing out money uh, under the guise of JobKeeper to keep businesses, struggling businesses who employ battlers afloat. Well, um, the exclusive Australian Golf Club, and I'm reading from none other than the Australian Financial Review here. Thank you. Careful, Rachel. Thank you, Michael Rodden. Pocketed $1.5 million of JobKeeper funds despite a rise in their profit and also revenue. Uh, so I, I don't know what's going on there at the, at the Australian because I gather that uh, their members are, are not not battlers and, uh, and and the like, and indeed their their financial numbers improved over the last twelve months or so. So um, along with Harvey Norman, here's another organisation that uh, has that been the, the beneficiary of government largesse without actually needing it. Um, All they're doing, Rochi, is trying to keep you know people people in work. It's tough times over there at the Aussie. It's a very expensive round of golf for those that can play over there. Sadly, I'm outside. The, I'm outside the 10k radius, so the chosen few. Uh, not allowed to get it. Not allowed to get there at the moment. So, a bit bitter and twisted about it. But it's tough times. Rich, Rich, they did well last year. I think there's a hu- good financial management. Oh sure, go and There's it. a human story um, behind this. I think the um, it's oh, it's something boy. that they the members don't like to talk about. But the the wood paneling in the men's change room was in desperate need of um, a bit of um, a bit of sprucing bit, up. So bit of yeah, it's gone. It's been well spent. And the. Right. And look, the locker, the locker rooms, I mean, the, the gold plates on the names, they needed to be polished up a little bit more and um, required a bit more time, I think, Reggie. I tell you what, I, I, I want to, I'm looking for a career change. I want to pick up the chief executive and course superintendent gig at the odds because this person gets paid $635,000. He's a good man. That is He's more, they need to be, that is more than most ASU, a lot of ASX listed CEOs get paid. What justifies that, Jono? What's, what does this person oh, just, do? I'm not sure I'm in a position to comment on oh, that, Richie, but he's, he's, yes. <laughs> he's doing a wonderful job, I must say. Those gold nameplates don't polish themselves. <laughs> That's right. The truest greens so, in Australia. 
I realise that some people here might need to recru- recuse themselves from this, this but I'm, all, I'm dishing All I can say, Richie, about this is as a result of the pandemic, I have been reduced to putting on the Royal Castle Cove greens. I played at Royal Castle Cove yesterday. I and heard that. For the golfers amongst us, jeez, that's a come down. <laughs> it's, oh, you, you pull a thing. It's pretty rough. Oh. <laughs> Outrageous. It's, it's outrageous. This, it's all of, this, the snobbery on this show it needs a bit of woke. Oh, yeah. That's what it does. Not not wrong. That's why I brought it up to out Jono. Um, so it's a red card for the Aussie, the Oz, and it's potentially a red card for Jono too, frankly. I think way so. carries I'll on. take it. Yeah. Um, look, I'm glad we have agreement on that because uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, a bit of an Olympic special, obviously. Um, so it leaves me simply to say farewell to Stephen Riley. See you, Riles. Farewell, Paul. Farewell, everyone. To David Gill. See you, Gilly. See you, guys. I'm just going to watch some clay pigeon shooting. Oh, excellent. That's Simon. Jono Johnson. See you, mate. Thanks for being part of the show as always. Gold for for and against. Indeed. That's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at for and against underscore. Uh, And we'll do it all again in another month's time. Until then, it's bye for now.